Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Welcome Horizon West Church family. Um, My name is Austin. I'm the director of groups here. If we haven't met yet, uh, it is a joy to get to speak with you this morning. And so um, let's just dive right in. So this, we are kind of wrapping up this week our series that we've been in for a while now called We Are. Um, And so this week I want to talk about a concept that you see all throughout the New Testament um, in the establishment of the church. And we, as we sang this morning, Lord, build your church, build your church. I want to talk about what it looks like as we are building the church to be the church. And so this morning we're going to talk about we are one. We are one, specifically seeking unity in a divisive culture. You know, there are things um, in our world that create um, we'll just call them rivalries, right? Um, and if you're, if you're a sports fan, March Madness happened. We got to see a great rivalry happen in the final, first time ever in the final four. That's the UNC uh, North Carolina Tar Heels versus the Duke Blue Devils. And um, that was a good one and it was fun. Uh, there's some other sports related um, Gators. Woo! Yeah. Versus the Seminoles, yeah. <laughs> um, you got the Gators and the Seminoles. There's a uh, baseball. We, we're talking Yankees and Red Sox. That's kind of a, that's the biggest rivalry in sports. Um, and yeah, so maybe some non-related sports rivalries. Um, some of you might relate to, this, to these a little more. Um, how about Target and Walmart, right? Yeah, now we're getting, Target is like, I, my wife, I'm not, she's not allowed to go in there. You know, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but Target and Walmart, they're, they're, they're two big chains, you know, always going at it. Uh, these two always seem to pop up like right across the street from each other. And that's Walgreens and CVS. And I'm like, what, how does that, there's, okay, whatever. You know, I don't know who's driving that engine, but it's like wherever they go, we're going to go too. Like, um, and then last one, this one might be kind of heated a little bit, but uh, I'm going to say Starbucks and anyone else who makes good coffee, <laughs> right? Um, so anyone who's a Starbucks fan, I apologize, but um, yeah, I'll, we'll leave that. So uh, in Jesus' day, though, there were, you could kind of say that there was this great rivalry that, was taking, that took place, and it was the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, kind of to define those terms, the Jews were God's chosen people, and the Gentiles were kind of everyone else. Um, it was kind of a mixed bag of, of what that looked like, and so... Um, Greeks or Hebrews or, or whatever. So, um, but in, in all of that, there was a real like physical difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And because the Jews were God's chosen people, they had, a, they had been set apart. So they had specific rituals and feasts and celebrations and acts of worship and, and, and all of these things that were different from everyone else. And, uh, you know, God actually planned to bless every nation through the Gentiles, right? Because Jesus was born into a Jewish culture, and so he was a Jew. And so, so he, God had a plan to bless every, all of the nations through, the, through Israel, but the Gentiles didn't know this. And so they were simply separated. So today, we're going to look at a passage where Paul, um, who was a Jew himself, he was writing to a church in Ephesus that was full of Gentile believers. 
And we're going to take a look at how these two rivals not only became friends, but how they, better yet, how they became one for the mission of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. I cheated. I have a little uh, mark there so I can flip there quickly. Ephesians 2. We're going to read verses 11 through 22. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. We'll have it up here on the screen. So read here with me. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into, get this, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. God, this is a message of hope. This is a message of oneness. This is a message of the work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would be here as we have welcomed you with praise. God, as we have sang that you are the cornerstone, this is your church. Lord, build your church through this moment. Bind up every distraction, Lord, and may we grow closer to you, having experienced time with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So we have quite a bit of, of, of scripture to get through here. And we're going to break it up into a couple of chunks. But I want to provide some context to what is happening in this letter. So uh, this letter is considered, a, it's written by Paul and it's considered a circulatory letter. So it was written to a church in Ephesus. But it's not, written, it's not written about any specific one issue. And, and, and a lot of times in Paul's letters, he wrote a lot of them, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, in his letters, he's writing about to a specific church for a specific purpose. In this time, he's writing to Ephesus. And he's writing to like, like the general, the churches there. So the intention was that one church, would, one church body would read this letter. And then they would pass it to the next church body, and they would read the letter. And, then, and the intention is uh, that it would be a circulatory letter. And not only that, um, but it's also, so we have to look at where was Ephesus at. So Ephesus was a, a, a kind of a port city. 
And so a lot of things, a lot of people would come there, um, would move there. It was, it was kind of an epicenter of, some, of business. And so not only were there um, Jews that would live there, but also uh, it was a very diverse culture. And so people from all over the place would come to live there, to, to maintain their business and to, to um, offer up, uh, a, a, to build a life in which they could live. And, um, and so we also see um, in Paul's writing, he, has, he usually has um, two kind of ways that he looks at things. And, and typically he dives right into the, the theological uh, moments in the first part of his letters. So he's going to explain what we believe and why we believe it. And then on the last, last half of his letter, he's going to talk about the practicality, how we live that out and why we do that. And so all of this matters as we look at our text this morning to help us kind of understand what that looks like. So we have basically what, I, what I'm calling a three-step process towards unity. Three-step process towards unity. And so the first step is separation. The first, and really more so recognizing our separation. Look again at, at um, chapter 2, 11. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made by flesh of hands. We'll talk about that in a second. Remember that you were, listen to the language here, the separation language. He says, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. He just says it, you're separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. Separated, alienated, strangers. It's this idea that as Gentiles, now we having not, most of us, I would assume, having not grown up in the Jewish culture, would be identified as the Gentiles. So whenever we're looking at, at, at who this is and who he's talking to, we can just go ahead and insert ourselves here that we are the Gentiles. And so he's saying, remember, now, so he's speaking to these believers in Ephesus that are from all over the place who have heard the gospel message. Now, at one time, you were separated from Christ. You were, you were not a part of God's chosen people. And um, not only was, were you not there, but there's a couple of ways that that played out. So there's a couple of ways that played out. So the Jews, as being separated, they had a few things. The Jews could only, like for instance, could only eat kosher meat. Like they weren't allowed to eat anything that, that touched the blood because it was unclean. The Gentiles were like, give me all the bacon, right? I just want it. Give me all the bacon, right? The, for the Jews, the Sabbath was holy, so there's no working. There's all these laws on, on the Sabbath to make sure that you were resting. They had, to, they had to prepare their meals and do everything the night before. They couldn't even turn lights on in some situations because that would be considered working. And for the Gentiles, it's like, yo, Sunday is football day, right? <laughs> or the Jews, circumcision is for holiness, is a sign that you are under that you are under the covenant of God. For the Gentile circumcision, those who chose to circumcise their children was for cleanliness, right? Um, so, uh, Paul, so Paul adds that kind of rivalry in here. So physically, here's the physical difference, the circumcision versus the uncircumcision. And to the Jews, it was a sign that they were under the covenant and that they were, they were the only ones, it's not that they were the only ones that practiced it, but to be uncircumcised was a sign of separation for the Lord. That was, that was what it mean for, meant for them. But Paul notes this, and, and i am uh, got it on the screen here. In Romans 2, 28 through 29, he says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, 
which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter. Those whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is saying here that the circumcision that matters is not one that is done outside. It is one of the heart. It is getting rid of the excess of the heart and making sure that it is in a place to, to be faithful and receive the word of God and to pass that on. And that's what Paul is saying. That's what Christ did in creating a new covenant. To be under a new covenant wasn't something earned or done by the hands of man, but it was something that instead was a works of God and a change of the heart. So, but can you see how this could cause a riff in the church? Like, think about it. Imagine if you had gone to church all of your life, and, and, the, and the rule was that you could only attend church if you attended and you wore a tuxedo. Like, the, everything was great, but you had to wear a tuxedo. And then you walk into church with us this morning, and you look around, and you're like, nobody's in tuxedos. Like, what's going on? It would be, wouldn't that be, like, kind of a, a shock to the system, right? Or think about kind of the flip side of that. Imagine having never been to the church ever. And you hear this amazing gospel presentation that talks about a hope that, we only, that is only to come through Christ by faith and by his grace. And that this hope is from him. And then you join a church and everyone is trying to force you to give up smoked meats. Like, I'm sorry, I, I just love pulled pork too much. Like, that's, that's I'm, I'm out, right? No. When it's made about something other than Christ and what he did for us. And so that's, what's hap that was, that's what was happening in the church. That these, these Gentiles were running into situations where the Jews were saying, this is not good enough. And Paul's reminding them, no, this is, that was your former self. Yes, at one point you were separated. And it actually, it, it, it goes along with what Paul said earlier in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3, and it's, this isn't on the screen, so but just pay attention. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. He's talking to the Jews here and the Gentiles. Like, this is your situation. You were dead in your trespasses and sin once you walked following the course of this world, following the prince of air, the spirits that is now at work in, in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were, you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He's saying this is everyone. And so we can look at this as, as, as descriptive for us as well. When we think about, and so here's what I think Paul is saying. Before we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we live eternally separated from hope, from the hope that is to come. He says you were without Christ that you were separated from Christ, alienated to the, to the Israelite, to the, the strangers to the covenants, having no hope. And unfortunately, I think some of us walk in this morning and we don't see the hope that is coming. We don't have that relationship with Christ. We don't know what he has done for us. There's a couple separations here. And first is that separation from Christ. And that's our most important need as we walk in this morning, is to know him, is to know who he was. And we'll talk about that in a second. So, so, but a separation from Christ brings no hope. But there's another separation. It's a separation from his church. A separation from his church. And that is um, that we are not a part of the believers. And we are not a part, we are not actively, we have no mission 
Because the mission of God is, is, through his, is carried out through his church. So step one is, is separation. And that is a hopeless, hopeless place to be. And so here, if you hear nothing else that I say here, that God wants to welcome you in. And we'll see how he does that in a second. But we need to recognize our separation. But there is a small word in this passage. And a friend of mine, it, so it, in verse 13, it says, but. And my friend of mine always says, no, I like this but and I cannot lie, right? But, so you were formerly separated, you were alienated from the commonwealth, the, the covenants of promise, having no hope, but, but it did not end there. It did not end there. So the second step is reconciliation. Reconciliation, receive the reconciliation. So in, look at 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. The beauty of this passage is that though we were separated and though we were there, God came and he met us where we were. And he met us. He loved us enough to meet us where we were, but he loved us too much to leave us there. He brought us in. And that is what we want for, that is what the church wants for each and every one of us, is to see that reconciliation. And this should encourage, encourage us all because we have a God who through his finished work brings reconciliation. There are really two forms of, of reconciliation that I think we see here. And the first one is a peaceful restoration, a peaceful restoration. In verse 14, it says, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace, a peaceful restoration. Pastor Chris kind of spoke on this a little bit last week where, we talk, where he talked about the ministry of reconciliation. It's this idea that in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that, that he gave us, that he reconciled us to, him, to himself and then gave us the mission, the ministry of reconciliation. It's, it's a, what, what a friend of mine would call the robust gospel. The robust gospel. Yes, Jesus' death on the cross is the answer for our sin. And that's, that's the vertical relation here. But it is, also, and it is reconciling us to God. But Jesus' death on the cross also answers how we relate to those around us. It is also horizontal. It's a robust gospel. It affects, it affects our relationship with him and our rightness with him. And yes and amen, that is what we do. But it also how we, how we interact, how we welcome those around us. Believers or not. That same friend says we need something outside of us to deal with the broke things inside of us that divide us. Amen. Jesus knew that, it was, that we were too broken on the inside of us to be able to, 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 to seek unity against the things that divide us. So we need something outside of us to come into us to deal with the broke things that divide us. He is our peaceful restoration. It is through him that we receive peace. And we can continue to do that. So our restoration is a peaceful one. And again, and, and so in, in verse 15, he says this. So that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So he is our peace, and he makes peace. 
by taking two separate rivals and making one, creating one. So that's peaceful restoration. The second one is a perfect reunion. A perfect reunion. Look in verse 16. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ. So he's reconciling us both. He's, it's like he's wrapping his arms around all of us and he's reconciling us to God. So the reunion is to each other and to God. We also have the reunion together. Meaning we have not only been made one together, but we have made better through Christ. We are made one together and better through Christ. Elsewhere, Paul says this. In two different letters, he says this. In Galatians 3.28, he says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then in Colossians 3.11, In Christ, where it's not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, I can't say that word, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now there's a very um, big point that I want to make at the end, but I'm just going to go and say it here because I'm feeling it. The Spirit is leading, right? Unity, though, is not uniformity. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, but so don't confuse what Paul is saying here. He's saying that, that these things, these titles, Jews and Greek and male and female and slave and, or, or free, or, all of these things, when we place our identification, our identity in Christ, are, are made new. They're changed. They're made new. And this was, in fact, this was Jesus' desire for his church. Let us look at what he says in his, what is believed is his final public prayer in John 17. He's praying this for his disciples. He says, I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So he's, he's praying that the church might be one, that these disciples might be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Now, Jesus is, you know, was God on earth, put on flesh. So we are one in that same way. For what reason? And I, that they may also be in us. That, that we, again, this perfect reunion brought together are one in him. So that the world may know that you sent me. Are the way in which we are unified with those around us that don't look like us, that don't, that don't have the same experience as us. It brings about a witness to the world so that they know that it is him who sent us. Him, who, who, God who sent his son to do those things. Our unity reflects to a broken world the perfect love of Christ. The perfect love of Christ to a broken world. So Jesus offers a sweet reconciliation that we must lay claim to. And when we do, we enter into this third process, step three, a new identification, a new identity. Look at some of this contrasting language. And remember at the beginning, he said, you are strangers, strangers and aliens, separated from God, Christ, hopeless and godless. But then look what he says in verse 19. Or sorry, verse, yeah, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens by the blood of Christ who has brought those who are far off near. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. 
your fellow citizens. This is a new identity that's being created here. You are members of God's household. And you are being joined, being built together by the Spirit. By the Spirit. This is what it looks like to be ambassadors of Christ. When his identity becomes our identity. And the church is lived out on mission. Yes, so as a church, yes, we share the good news of Jesus with our families, with our friends and our, and our strangers. Yes, we attend worship. We serve in kids. We hold doors for new, for new attenders. We smile and we wave at people in the parking lot. But the church is not a building. The church is not an event that we go to to enjoy, to go home and, and go on to, about our day. The church is part of our Christian identity. And we have a role to play. We have a role to play in, in pursuing those around us. Last week, my wife and I, we had the opportunity to get out of town a little bit. And uh, we found ourselves on an island somewhere in the Caribbean. And uh, it was great. Her company paid for it. And we soaked up all the sun. And uh, it just was a, it was a great time away. And uh, we stayed at the pool a lot. Then we were like, hey, there's a beach. Let's, let's go check the beach out. And, uh, and so I, I ran to, into the water. And I, and I was like, oh, it's kind of cold. You know, I just got to dive in. So I dove head first. And I opened my eyes in the ocean water and I was reminded of something. That ocean water has this thing in it called salt. Right? And then when you open your eyes under it, there's, this, there's, a, there's a reaction that happens that is kind of painful. It stings a little bit. And I was like, oh, it came out and like, I'm not in the pool anymore, you know. And uh, I joke, but it was, it, was, it was a great time. So I, but I was reminded here, you cannot separate salt from the ocean water. Sure, you can, you can pull the water out and you can go through, I don't know, there's some kind of pill you maybe you can drop in it and go through the process and get the salt out and it can be drink. But when you do that, it's no longer ocean water, right? It, 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 it changes the identity. In the same way, I believe that you cannot separate the Christian and the fact that they belong to a Christian community, that they belong to what I call a big C church. When you infuse the gospel into someone's life, you get a new identity. You get a new identity. And with that comes a new mission. A new mission. I want to close real quick by taking a look at one more passage. One more passage. And so all of this has been very theology heavy. And this is what Paul, Paul is writing. This is what we believe and why we believe it. But then in the practical, practical side... In, in, in chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 7, read that with me. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Remember, Jesus is our peace and he, he gives us peace. He says, then he goes on to say, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then verse 7. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So there's two things here I want to point out and then we'll be done. A couple weeks ago, Pastor, Youth, Pastor David Youth at our John Young campus was preaching from this passage. And, and he points out a few of these words. He says, walk, walk in the man and worthy of your calling. And in, in all humility, in all gentleness, in patience, in love, maintaining unity, 
and the bond of peace. Who does that look like? Jesus. Jesus is those things. He is the perfection of those things. So if we are, if we are living that out, Paul is simply saying to walk like Jesus. And then as I said earlier, unity does not mean uniformity. As he says in verse 7, grace was given to each of us according to the measure of God's gift. We all received a different amount of grace for what it is that he has for us. Not everyone is going to look like you or talk like you or think like you. And that's a good thing. We were all created in God's image. We are all image bearers. That is the beauty of the creator. That he has infinite ability to continue to create new and new and different and new. But that he brings us all together for the mission of God. So we have a few points of application that I would like to leave you with this morning. The first one is we must belong to a church. We must belong to a church. And belonging to a church that looks like being a part of God's family, which means that first we have to recognize the hope that God gives us. And that is, through, that is only through the blood of Jesus. So if you haven't done that this morning, I encourage you, if you feel the Spirit moving, to come, to, to, to come and to speak with the pastor. Pastor Chris will be out in front after the service or um, someone to ask questions, to start that journey. To, we, are, we have to recognize our separation and receive the reconciliation. One way we used to say it at, a, at, a, at my old church is that the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. Ephesians 2.22, in him, Jesus, you are also being built together, the church, into a dwelling place for God. How great would it be that every first-time guest that walked through those doors said, I don't really know about that groups guy. Like he has this weird thing with meat that he loves. But, but I, I experienced God for the first. I experienced God in that family. There's something going on there. And God's presence was near. And then second, so belonging to a church, accepting Jesus and getting committed to and plugging into his family. The second thing is, and I believe this is very important, we must relationally pursue the ethnically other in order to reach our neighbors for the gospel. I was looking last night, according to the 2020 census, in Horizon West, about 20, roughly 24% of people are foreign born. One, that's about one out of every four people were not born in America. And so if we, Horizon West Church, are on mission for God to pursue, to see God move in Horizon West, we have to be pursuing relationships with those who don't look like us, who don't sound like us, who don't have the same experience as us. We have to pursue unity, ask questions. And keep the gospel at the core. When the gospel is at the core, it, it can abolish political differences, racial tensions, cultural misunderstandings, and petty rivalries. We should share a meal with someone who doesn't look like us. We should go to the gym or take a walk or ride a bike with, with invite them into a friendship. Serve alongside them. We should pray for wisdom for our church leadership as we pursue these things. We should embrace elements of worship that make us uncomfortable that we don't understand. I have a friend, and this is my last saying. He says, he says this, Dr. Brian Loritz, he says, 
Distance breeds suspicion, but proximity breeds empathy. As we invite others in, we get to know them. We get to understand how they feel when things happen in the, in the world around us. We get, to, we get to feel empathy. And so if we can claim that we are one, if we can claim that we are pursuing unity in a divisive culture, we have to step outside our comfort zone. We have to pursue these things. And I believe it is through that that as we sing, Jesus will build his church. Church, let us pray. God, Lord, we just trust in your blood. I pray in our groups, in our serve teams, in our kids, in our new here tents, and that, that we would be one, that the world would see something different and that it not be because of our efforts, but because you are building your church on Christ the cornerstone. We want no glory except for his glory. So pray, Lord, I pray as we, as we close our worship today, Lord, that you would receive the glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.